You're listening to Love, Maine Radio with Dr. Lisa Belial, recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Dr. Lisa Belial is a physician trained in family and preventative medicine, acupuncture, and public health. She offers medical care and acupuncture at Brunswick Family Medicine. Read more about her integrative approach to wellness in Maine Magazine. Love, Maine Radio is available for download free on iTunes. See the Love, Maine Radio Facebook page or www.lovemainradio.com for details. Now here are a few highlights from this week's program. People with a disability are faced with one of the last remaining areas of discrimination. And it may not be overt. It's been 25 years since the ADA came into law, almost. July 26th is the anniversary, but we're still struggling with that. People with disabilities are actually the largest minority population, larger than Hispanics or other cultures, and it's also the only minority where you, any one of us can become a member of. This could be me or someone I love tomorrow, you know, and so it does impact all of us personally. I got in because I, I love helping people. I mean, that sounds kind of cliche, but I do love solving problems for people, providing support for people, and I'm a firm believer that if people want to stay home as they get older, they should be able to, and, and families are so busy right now that, that there needs to be other support, other services that, that can allow that to happen. Love Main Radio is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Apothecary by Design, MacPage, and Berlin City Honda of Portland. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. You are listening to Love, Main Radio, show number 208, Aging in Place, airing for the first time on Sunday, September 6, 2015. How do we help older people continue to live fulfilling and productive lives? As a state with a rapidly aging population, Mainers are working to answer this question. Today, we explore the special needs of older individuals and other individuals who are differently abled with Jill Johanning and Chris Delenick of Alpha One. We also speak with Kate Adams of Aging Excellence, a non-medical in-home care agency that helps older people age in place. Thank you for joining us. As part of being a doctor, I am privileged to spend time with families who are dealing with pretty major life circumstances, and one of these is aging. In fact, I spend a lot of time with families who are caring for elderly parents, and what is wonderful is to see when it works out so that people are able to age in place and age um, in the homes that perhaps they've lived in all of their lives, because it seems to have a very positive impact on their health. However, I'm not sure that as a society we're quite sure how to deal with this yet. So today we're going to speak with two individuals who I think have some good ideas for us. We have Jill Johanning and Chris Delenick, who are from Alpha One. Jill is a Maine licensed architect who specializes in accessible and universal design, and Chris is an occupational therapist and an independent living specialist. So great to have you in here to have this conversation with me today. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for having us. So I'm interested in uh, why it is that this would become your field. It seems like, I mean, we obviously, Maine has one of the oldest populations in the nation, and we are all going to get to the place where we are needing the services um, that you're providing. But why did each of you choose to um, focus on this? Well, for me, it was, I think, similar to what a lot of people experience in the disability arena. Uh, it was personal. I was in a car accident when I was young, like eighth grade and had to do some rehabilitation and really was interested in what the physical and occupational therapists were doing. Uh, did a lot of volunteer work at that local hospital and really kind of latched on to occupational therapy as something that I saw a lot of potential in. So that was my entree into the occupational therapy world. Hmm. And how about you, Jill? I actually came home to Maine my first summer from college and wanted to do something different. I got involved with Pine Tree Camp, which is a camp for people with disabilities. And I just haven't left since. I'm uh, just seeing the need that we have in the architectural environment to make the facilities accessible for everyone. It's just been something that I fell in love with and kept on doing it. So describe for people who are listening what Alpha One is. That's a very good question. Alpha One is Maine's Center for Independent Living. So centers for independent living are in every state. 
Most states have multiple. We have one. Alpha One serves consumers in South Portland, Bangor, and Presque Isle through the offices, but we cover the entire state. And we're, we're really focused on increasing the independence and enriching the lives of people with disabilities. And so when we're talking about aging in place, um, this becomes relevant to the whole disability idea because we're all at various stages of ability or disability over the courses of our lives. And it's not just because of aging. It's because of things that might have happened or things we might have been born with. And you're really, you're just trying to make it possible for people to live their lives. I think one of the key things that we look at is the, the dignity of risk. So the same opportunities and the same circumstances that you know someone who does not have a disability is provided or afforded extending that to people who do have a disability to make the same choices to live their lives as independently as you or I. And Jill as an architect what types of things are you able to offer to people so that they can live independently in their homes or even live with perhaps other family members in their homes no matter what age they might be or what their ability levels might be? what I bring is choices and options. A lot of times people think that they only have one option to do this or that to their home. Um, based on what their budgets are, we try to give them different choices to make let them make the decisions of what's going to be best for them. Um, everybody's different, every home is different, and just helping them brainstorm ideas and let them know what products and resources are available so they can make those choices, whether it's today or tomorrow or in the future. Um, they know what's out there, that what's there for help. So when I'm thinking of things that people might need, I'm thinking of ways, for example, to get into their house, like a wheelchair ramp perhaps, or even not just a wheelchair ramp, but just a ramp, because sometimes stairs are difficult. Or I'm thinking about handles on doors that can be opened by people who aren't quite as strong. Um, but there also may be larger architectural and structural things that need to happen, widened doorways or um, changes in the layout of a room. Talk to me more about that. Right, and that comes back to budget. Um, again, looking at doorways, for example, um, if there's space, the cheapest option is just to switch the hinges to something called offset hinges or swing away hinges. If you just need an extra inch or two just to help get a little more space for a rollator or a wheelchair, that's the cheapest, easiest thing that anybody can do. And then if that doesn't work because of space or the door is just too small, then that's where widening the door, having a contractor come in and actually take the trim off know a little bit more cost but it's going to get you a little bit more space um, so things like that we look at based on what's existing for the home how old it is and then choosing do you want to can you afford to do just the hinges or can you afford to do the whole door frame um, so people have that choice to say let's try it with just the hinges or let's get a carpenter in here and actually fix the door for example and so what are some of the other things that people need to consider when you're talking about someone who has um, a disability or perhaps somebody who is aged and just has more generalized weakness or some sort of medical issue? Yeah, after, I mean, the priority is getting into the home or getting in and out, but you already mentioned with a ramp, um, getting through the doors and then the bathroom is really the place where most accidents happen and where everybody has should have the choice to go to the bathroom, bathe themselves safely, comfortably, um, so that's that's the biggest challenge um, is the bathroom because typically main old homes are small, tiny, um, not very friendly. You may not even have a full bathroom on the first floor if it's a yes. multi-floor house. Yeah, bathrooms is where we see a lot of requests for help in terms of looking at design, looking at layout, looking at equipment that might increase independence. Changing the tub to a shower, mm -hmm. changing the toilet. Um, right. And ideally, a, a replacing a tub with a shower that is as close to a zero threshold as possible, so not even a, a lip. So if someone had to use a device that needed to roll in, that you know that quarter of an inch, which a lot of bathtubs and, and or sorry shower floors have, can be a barrier. So we look at having as close to zero as possible. Chris, I'm interested in the work that you do because I have patients who come in who are of various ages but tend to be older who fall 
Mm. and um, maybe they trip on a rug, maybe they trip on the threshold, or maybe they're just unsteady in general. Um, And I know that one of the things that we often will do is to have someone go into the home, physical therapy, uh, therapist, occupational therapist, to evaluate why it is that this person is falling, because falls present an enormous risk for people who are old. If you have a fall, you could break a hip. If you break a hip, end up in the hospital. It's it's not just, it's not a simple bone break. It's really a life-altering event. Mm -hmm. So talk to me a little bit about the work that you do as an occupational therapist in this area. So as an OT, I go into, when I'm invited into someone's home to look at the home environment, um, first and foremost looking at what will be able to be done to increase the person's level of independence to stay in the home as long as possible with the, the caveat of as safely as possible. So I make recommendations. You know, Joel alluded to and mentioned choice earlier, and that's a lot of what I do as well, is offering a consumer, an individual who has a disability, here are some choices that you can make that will potentially increase the safety of your environment. Things like taking up throw rugs if you have throw rugs, if you have cords going across the floor, getting those out of the way. Um, A lot of consumers who have a lower vision, the transition from one room to the next can be tough. So if there's a bit of a lip or if there's a threshold, you know, if that can't be removed structurally, you know, demarcating that clearly with some high contrast. So um, installing some equipment in the bathroom to make it safer. You know, a chair to sit down in the shower, if, in, the, in the tub. If you have a tub, a chair to sit down and grab bars, a higher toilet seat. But again, making recommendations and then it is ultimately up to the person with the disability and their family to decide what they'd like to move forward on. I think it might surprise people um, what barriers actually do exist um, out in the environment in general, but but even in the home. I, I know that when I, I spent three months on crutches after a knee injury, that's just crutches, and that was just short term. So, you know, in no way am I saying that I have any understanding of what it's like to have a longer term disability. But there are a lot of things that people don't realize um, make life very challenging. So what are some of the top things that people come to you with? I mean, you've mentioned some very specific things, bathrooms and thresholds and getting in and out of the house. Um, What are some of the things that really keep people from being able to access um, bigger lives? Uh, Inside the home or out? Because I think inside the home, uh, getting in and out is, is a huge barrier. So as Joe mentioned, the ramp if you can't do stairs anymore, or if the bedroom and bathroom are upstairs, getting upstairs, or coming up with an alternative solution on the first floor if that's feasible. Um, Kitchen can sometimes be an issue as well, so if people want to do and can do things like meal preparation and enjoy the cooking, then looking at the kitchen. Um, Outside the community brings us, or outside the home, I think brings a a host of other issues. And is this something that both of you deal with? Or I guess, Jill, if you're an architect, it might be a little bit more difficult to be affecting change in the in the greater environment but maybe I'm wrong when it comes to private residences that's harder but we deal a lot with public accommodations in the communities and advocating for better awareness and access and this year is the 25th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act and just trying to remind people that's been 25 years that this law has been around to make sure that their businesses um, are accessible and that if they have an historic or old building that they still have obligations to do to make sure that people that are aging can come, continue to do their shopping, do their business, that they're not limited, that they can't go out to dinner with their friends and family because they can't get into the building. So there's, there's plenty that we have to do in the buildings um, to make sure that people who are aging at their home can still go out in the community and access services and activities and be engaged and continue you know, their active lifestyle. So it does go beyond the home, absolutely. So if if I was a business owner and I wanted to get some suggestions as to how to make my um, my establishment more accessible, could I go to Alpha One and get some suggestions? Yes, that is another thing that we offer. Is um, we are the main affiliate of the New England ADA Center, so we offer free ADA technical assistance for businesses as part of the ADA National Network. There are tax incentives out there that businesses can use to remove barriers to make their business accessible. There are checklists, guides, we have lots of free resources that we can help people with. So I know, Chris, that you were talking about um, your experience when you were in eighth grade and how this focused your life in a certain way as an occupational therapist. Jill, when you were working at the Pine Tree Camp, did you have specific specific memories of things that really caused you to want to focus on this area? 
think it was my involvement at the camp, where the camp itself is very accessible to everybody, not just the physical environment, but also the attitudes that the, all the staff there, you know, don't see any barriers, that if someone has a disability, they can do everything. And then when we'd go on field trips and go outside of camp with different people with different mobility devices, all kinds um, of disabilities, and just the challenges that I saw trying to help them go out to restaurants or go to parks or ball games, um, seeing the disconnect between the two and um, the need to make more communities accessible um, is what stayed with me and why I continue to do what I do. Chris, I'm, I'm interested in um, your background because you came here from Burlington mm -hmm. because your wife is, was a resident in internal medicine. She was a hospitalist. Correct. And now she's working as an internal medicine specialist. Uh, but she must work with a largely elderly population. Do you have conversations at the dinner table that have proven to be interesting slash useful in your occupation? We have, you, you know, keeping uh, all the HIPAA guidelines in Of course. I, I don't mean patient-specific, <laughs> no. but... It, speaking generally, yeah, we have. We, we really have. Um, and certainly my work at Alpha One has really come to the forefront and brought some things that, as an occupational therapist with experience working in an acute care of the hospital or an acute rehabilitation setting, I really wasn't aware of or maybe was aware of, but not to the level that I am working at at Alpha One. But yeah, we, we've had a lot of conversations about some of the barriers that face Mainers with disability. I was thinking back to um, this past winter and patients that I have who are wheelchair bound or maybe use walkers or even are just a little older and um, have difficulty navigating things like ice and snow, and and I would think that would provide an especial challenge to people um, when you know when we're not having beautiful summer weather. What can you do to help as people who are working with Alpha One? I think in the community, it's increasing awareness. So, in general, this winter was was pretty rough, and the sidewalks were passable by foot mostly. If you were using a wheelchair, if you were using an assistive device for walking, it was it was pretty treacherous. Um, so just increasing awarenesses of local businesses and, and the community at large that, you know, when we're looking at snow removal or sidewalk maintenance, that we have to look at an area beyond what somebody who's not using a device needs, but the needs of everyone who's using the street. Uh, and even in the summertime when there aren't necessarily four-foot piles of snow piled up on the sidewalk. That's when you typically see sidewalk cafes sprout up and tables come out and you know sandwich boards being placed, which again, if you don't need or don't use an, a mobility device, doesn't present a challenge. But if you do, it can really be a challenge. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because I'm thinking about um, just this need to share space. So if you are a walker, a runner, a biker, someone who's in a car, um, but then you add in also people who need a mobility device, that's a lot of kind of trying to orient yourself around other people. And, it, and I think it's important to have some mindfulness because if you're just not paying attention, then you're likely to miss somebody who's maybe in a, um, in a wheelchair Mm -hmm. and and can't get up a curb or something like that. So is that another thing that people talk about at Alpha One is just the idea to be aware of our fellow human beings and patient? And Yes, not only mobility devices, but also people with vision loss and what we can do to help our neighbors because it is a whole network support, whether it's the trash cans, trash bags on the sidewalk or trimming your bushes so that way people who can't see um, don't poke their eyes or scratch their head. Um, little things that, yes, we take for granted until it impacts us personally. And um, then then you see it. And once it turns on, you can't turn it off. Um, that's that's a, a fantastic point. You know, once you have some kind of personal experience, whether it's yourself, a family member, a friend, who's had to deal with or had to go through a day with a disability or with a limitation, you really do have your eyes opened. And you, you can't unsee some of those things. It, what has been frustrating is, again, this is just my opinion, but I think by and large, people with a disability are faced with one of the last remaining areas of discrimination. Uh, and it may not be overt, but the handicapped entrance, which in and of itself is 
a pejorative term. I mean, if you look at the etymology of the word of the word handicapped, it's cap in hand, indicating you're looking for a handout. Is at best okay? I can get into the building. You know, at worst, outright discriminatory. Um, if we had a sign out front that said you know, Episcopalians use the rear entrance, or you know, etc., something identifying this person as a specific class of citizen that can't use a st uh, the same entrance that you and I do, I don't think it would be tolerated. And as Joe mentioned, it's been 25 years since the ADA came into law, almost. July 26th is the anniversary, but we're still struggling with that. So why is that? Why is it that we've been able to get beyond, so, or at least in theory, we've moved in a better place with other types of things that we've discriminated against traditionally, but in this situation, we haven't quite gotten there yet. We haven't, and it, it is challenging because people with disabilities are actually the largest minority population, um, larger than Hispanics or um, other cultures, and it's also the only minority where you, any one of us can become a member of, and I think when people realize that, that this could be me or someone I love tomorrow, um, and it, so it does impact all of us personally, and, and why we haven't is a great question. Um, we have, in the architectural world, so many building codes and laws and new things for life safety that keep coming up. and. Um, it, it took 25 years to update the ADA standards for buildings, so it's kind of taken the bottom of priorities. Um, focuses more on housing and employment and other things that come up. And um, that's unfortunate. It's too bad. I think a lot of places look at it as a dollars and cents issue, that which can be self-perpetuating. That, well, I don't have any customers who come in who have a disability, who need a larger doorway or who need a ramp. Well, if you don't have a ramp or you don't have larger doorways or an accessible bathroom, how can a person who have a disability access your area? So it, it kind of self-perpetuates. And then when you look at uh, making modifications, making any changes to a structure, you know, there's always the, well, I don't own a lease as a business owner, or, well, the cost to do that is really prohibitive. And we've been doing some uh, presentations on the ADA and for consumers who have a disability to know your rights as a consumer that were established by the ADA. And when we look at um, the onus, it really is on the person who has the business to make their area accessible for everyone. As I'm thinking about, Jill, what you're saying as far as um, becoming disabled, it's the only group that any of us could become a part of. Becoming aged is... It's really the only group that we kind of all hope to become a part of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. it beats the alternative is what we always say. It is completely non-discriminatory. <laughs> we all eventually will get there. Yeah, so we get there or we don't, and if we don't, we just don't have to worry about this stuff, but we, we likely and hopefully will. And so um, it's interesting to me that this even becomes a question that, I mean, you're going to have older people who are going to want to likely come into your business. You're going to want to have people who, because they've always come there, and now they're the same people. They're just maybe 10, 15, 20 years older. So you can't even use this excuse like, well, we don't have any older people because they probably, you probably do, or you at some point might. That's an interesting comment. Uh, it, about three or four weeks ago, a team from Alpha One took a week and we went on Congress Street in Portland from kind of from one end to the other looking at businesses in terms of their accessibility and their compliance with, with ADA code. And one business in particular, those that was an exact situation. Uh, second floor area for the business and they uh, talked about having customers who had been coming for 30, 40, 50 years and who wear it as a badge of honor that they can still get up the stairs to the second floor. And I asked, well, what happens when they can no longer do that? Or with customers who can't do that at all? You're kind of losing a lot of that. And it was brought to my attention that, well, we, we do have a first floor space, and we offer private showings there. And nowhere is that advertised at the business that that's even available. So, you, you know, you're automatically missing such a big chunk of people. I think the statistics are, you know, just at 20%. It's, you know, you boil it down, it's one in five. So one out of every five people you meet have a disability. That's a big chunk of our population. Well, and if you broaden that out to um, having special needs because you're older, the percentage of the population that's older is um, even larger than that. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I would hate to be 80 years old and want to go into my favorite restaurant and have them say, no, no, you can't sit over here. You have to sit over here because this is where the special old people sit. Right. I mean, it's bad right. enough to think that, right. you know, AARP starts chasing us down with cards, you know, when we hit the age of 50. Now, all of a sudden, we become a population that's not allowed to just enjoy life because of the, the years that have built up. Yep. Right, and it impacts the family, too, because I hear from a lot of families that want to take their grandparents out to their favorite restaurant, and they can't anymore. So they're really limited where they can take someone out to a restaurant or for an event, and that's where it clicks, and they see, oh, we can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. It's too bad. Well, and that gets us back to where we started, which is this whole idea of aging in place. And we're really not even just talking about the ability to stay in our homes as we get older. We're talking about the ability to live within our greater community. So aging in place isn't just aging at our house. It's aging and having an active life, which I believe most of us will seek to do as long as we can. So how do people find out more about Alpha One and the work that you are each doing? Uh, They can find out more information on our website, alphaonenow.org. We also have a social media presence on Facebook, on Twitter, under Alpha One. And you can find a host of resources there for just about any aspect of disability and community access. We have a lot of people that also call our number, uh, which is 207-767-2189. And we have lots of friendly coworkers to help answer questions for people that aren't as um, familiar with the internet or don't care for it as much, but um, a choice. And we're out and about in the community I'm trying to bring awareness. Yeah. We have that toll-free number, 1-800-640-7200. Uh, one of the core values or core missions of any Center for Independent Living is what we call information and referral. So someone calls with a question of, hey, I need to do X, Y, or Z, or I'm having trouble with a particular area. We have a very knowledgeable staff that can point them in the direction of resources that will help. Well, I appreciate you coming in and talking to me today, and, and I feel like it's uh, it's been interesting for me because I was just thinking about aging in place. I was thinking about older people, and then you bring in people who are termed disabled. And really, in the end, it, it just means any of us at any given time could have something that makes it not possible for us to access something else for whatever reason. So really, it's just a continuum. So whether people are calling Alpha One because they would like to help out an aging grandmother or because they would like to get up the stairs in their favorite restaurant, it's all just helping people live broader lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that we've been talking about in the office that's you know, maybe conjecture, but I think we're we have the hope that as the baby boomer generation, which was so instrumental in a lot of major sea changes in culture and practice, as that group ages and begins to need a lot of the resources that we've talked about, we'll start to see some of that same sea change and cultural change that we have in the past with civil rights. Well, I hope that's true too. And I hope that the conversation that we're having will perhaps um, cause people to think a little bit more about all of this and to think about how it personally might be impacting either themselves or someone that they care about. And ultimately, that's how things get done, I think. Yes. Mm-hmm. Agreed. We've been speaking with Jill Johanning, who is a Maine licensed architect, and with Chris Delenick, who is an occupational therapist, um, both of whom work with Alpha One. Thanks so much for being in here today. Thanks for having Thank us. You Love Maine Radio is brought to you by MacPage, an accounting and management consulting firm that believes the path to success is paved by their ability to build lasting, meaningful relationships with their clients. MacPage, accessible, approachable, and accountable. For more information, go to macpage.com. Love Maine Radio is brought to you by Berlin City Honda where the car buying experience is all about easy. After all, life is complicated enough and buying a car shouldn't be. That's why the Berlin City Honda team goes the extra mile by pre-discounting all their vehicles and focus their efforts on being open, honest, and all about getting you on the road. In fact, Berlin City recently won the 2015 Women's Choice Award, a strong testimony to their ability to deliver a different kind of car buying experience. Berlin City Honda of Portland. Easy. It's how buying a car should be. Go to BerlinCityHondaME.com 
for more information. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines carefully prepared by experienced professionals coupled with care and attention focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled, you need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. Our next guest is Kate Adams. Kate is a certified aging life care manager and since 2005 has owned three locations of Aging Excellence, a non-medical in-home care agency with eight offices throughout New Hampshire and Maine. Kate lives in North Yarmouth with her partner Beth and three young boys. And she's a fellow Bowdoin graduate who I've known for many years. It's really great to see you here today. Thanks. Kate, you're doing something that interests me um, on a few different levels. One is as a family doctor, Mm -hmm. um, because I see the importance of trying to help people uh, work through aging issues and also uh, help people's families work through aging issues. But also my own interest um, in having had grandparents that have gotten older and have gone from being the one person that I knew to someone who kind of over time changed into somebody I didn't know quite as well. Mm-hmm. Why did you get into this field? I got in because I, I love helping people. I mean, that sounds kind of cliche, but I do love um, solving problems for people, providing support for people. And, uh, you know, I'm a firm believer that if people want to stay home, um, as they get older, they should be able to. And, and families are so busy right now that, that there needs to be other support, other services that, that can allow that to happen. And, and you're calling it an aging excellence, which I love because it's not just about, oh, let's do the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. It's really let's keep people living these full lives. Right. It's about staying active and independent. Um, you know, we sort of hold up as our... Um, sort of, uh, you know, people who are running into their 80s. Uh, you know, we, we have been sponsors of the Beach to Beacon and the the senior division, and there are people who are running the Beach to Beacon road race in their 80s. They've run it for years and years. People just staying active, staying home, doing as much as they can, um, even with disease processes starting and um, Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or heart disease that it's possible um, diabetes to stay to stay active and healthy and and focused on um, the good things in their lives so it's not just um, it's maybe acknowledging whatever genetics you have or whatever environmental factors have contributed to whatever your health status is but it's not just accepting that there is one predetermined route for you to follow as you Right. Get it's older. not, you know, oh, I have this disease, I'm going to sit in a chair and decline or need to move to assisted living or that I'm going to end up in a nursing home and everybody's going to be taking care of me and I'm going to be a burden to my family. I mean, that's something I hear from from older adults all the time, from seniors, from people, and I don't want to be a burden to my family. So I always, you know, one of the things that I say to families, and um, because everybody's reluctant to ask for help, is it's really about being proactive. It's about being proactive about about aging, um, as opposed to reactive, as opposed to waiting for something bad to happen, as opposed to waiting for a fall. Um, or some major event that, you know, a car crash, something like that, you know, that, that will, that's a game changer that's going to, you know, force someone to be in the hospital and rehab and then maybe not even go home again if, if they don't recover. You're a certified aging life care manager. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Well, uh, it, it, the term has just changed, the redefinition. I'm part of a large organization, a national organization that has 35,000 members nationwide. Um, it's an accreditation. It's a um, sort of you have to meet certain criteria and pass certain exams to be to be um, in that. It's social workers, nurses, that sort of thing. But it's um, someone that's looking at, uh, that can do assessments, that, you know, can 
pull resources together and um, create the, the support and a plan of care for someone to either age in place or if someone does want to transition to a facility can really uh, look at the big picture and, and solve problems or, or challenges. Before you did this, you actually worked in the film and television industry Correct. for 12 years Yeah, in L.A. and Seattle. Mm-hmm. It seems like there would be some problem solving in a very different way mm-hmm. in, in those areas. How, sure. how has there been a translation for you? Well, I actually had this conversation with an employee recently because it, um, I used the analogy working in, in production um, whether it be on which I've worked, you know, in large feature films, I've worked in documentary films, um, and I've worked on uh, fashion photo shoots. But it's about showing up. It's about you know, there's a lot of money on the line in in um, in production, and you know, if there's a call time, if there's you know a specific shoot scheduled, you can't not show up. You know, you can't. So you know, it. I use that to with an employee who was, um, you know, a little wishy-washy about her schedule, and I said, "Look, you know, it's it's what makes or breaks things around here." And for a lot of our clients that we see, uh, be- besides the the care management, the aging life care that I do, um, we do one-to-one care. We do one hour to twenty-four hour care for people. So it's about for some people, it's about getting them out of bed and making them breakfast in the morning. Um, and that's not going to happen if someone doesn't show up. So, uh, so, so that's it's a roundabout answer to your question. I just I feel like um, making things happen and solving problems and and uh, and sort of pulling lots of pieces together to to create something, um, whether it be in someone's own home and for their for their ability to stay in their home or um, producing a feature film. It just uh, it's a it's a big jump, but I, I I feel like I I bring a lot to to this work from there. So it sounds like there's kind of two things that you do. One is this proactive um, piece, which is planning and forward thinking, and the other one is engaging with whatever it is that is happening on a day to day basis, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is kind of like just being human, right? Right, right. Just you know. 85 year old guy wants to stay in his home and he needs help getting up and getting dressed and you know someone to cue his meds in the morning and be sure he has something made for lunch but um, or he's stopped driving you know and and uh, so someone needs to go get his groceries or take him to appointments and he's fine with not driving but he needs he needs that support so yeah just day to day um, socialization someone to to show up and hang out and read the paper and um, go play bridge and then come back and be sure they're set for dinner I mean those sorts of day-to-day care that that people need is um, is a lot what we do too how did your work as a Parkinson's um, group support group coordinator mm-hmm. how did that filter into the work that you're doing now well I just I I've learned so much. So I was asked by Lillian Senna, who was the, um, at that time, she was head of the the, um, Parkinson's, the um, main Parkinson's association. Um, And there hadn't been a support group in Lewiston for a long time, and she asked me if I would, um, I worked in the area, she knew that, she asked if if I would start a new group. And I did, and it's been, you know, it's, it's had some sporadic attendance it's but I've learned so much about um, the issues that people with Parkinson's face because it's such a um, a changeable disease it's different it's one of those diseases that's different for everybody you one thing they say is you meet one person with Parkinson's and you've met one person's with Parkinson's that the symptoms are so varied so uh, I've learned a lot about you know the different medications and how they work with you know different people and it it's so helpful to bring bring people together so they can um, discuss those things we've had presenters we've had um, occupational therapists and uh, physical therapists and nutritionists I mean just really real learned I've just learned so much about the disease it's been um, it's been really helpful to me I'm thinking about some of the conversations that I've had with patients and their families. Mm-hmm. Um, one common scenario is a patient that is 
has been living elsewhere and then has moved either back to Maine where they had lived before, um, uh, or they've moved back to Maine um, or moved to Maine to be with a family. Mm-hmm. And both of those are, are pretty big transitions because mm-hmm. you're talking about moving, which is a transition. And sometimes you're talking about moving in with a family right. that you don't really know as adults. You right. know them as your children. Right. So those, so just starting with the stresses of those transitions. Um, and then on top of that, I, I think it's interesting. It's been interesting for me to see what people bring up as issues. You know, there's the day-to-day things that you're talking about. But the socialization piece you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, that is huge. Right. That it's not, you know, once you get them to a state of sort of basic health, then what do they do with their hours? Right, right. Long days. And especially if family's working, I mean, you've got to juggle that if, you know, mom's going to just hang out at home while her son and daughter-in-law head off to work, you know, what? how is she going to fill those hours and what's she going to do? And someone, um, you know, so it's about resources. So either in that scenario, hiring an aging life care manager to say, okay, what are mom's options here? What can she, uh, you know, what resources can she tap into in the community? Um, what's, you know, if she ha- is dealing with a specific disease process, what's the trajectory of that and what can we expect and what might be the next steps or how can we plan for um, if if it doesn't work for her to stay here and she does need to transition somewhere else or what are the different pieces that can come together and the different supports that we can put together so it works for everybody and that and that you know there's wellness on on um, all fronts you know for mom for the family for um, so and it may be just okay hire a you know someone to be a companion for her two or three days a week or, you know, and then some days she can go um, to uh, the community center in Brunswick, for instance, there's um, People Plus that that does a lot of um, outreach and and is a a fabulous community center that that integrates seniors and, and teens. It's a really lovely place. So it's, you know, it's in those situations I would always recommend that someone reach out and get some advice, get some um, sort of analysis of the situation and and what can we do to make it best. It's again about being proactive and not waiting for um, people to to feel resentment or struggle about the situation. And how do you help um, the senior that we're talking about the grandmother, the grandfather, the uncle, the aunt, how do you help that person not feel like a burden? Well, I think it's, I, I, you know, it's about communication. So I think, you know, they need to voice that concern. But uh, I, I think getting support so they're not a burden, you know, I think as little as um, having the, the companion services or having someone that that they can so that they feel like they have their own life still um, that there there are some outlets and and areas where they're not feeling completely um, beholden to what their son or daughter-in-law or whoever it is or grandchildren or whatever that that there's um, there's I mean I use the example so even if 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 it's not moving in with but say there's mom and she's declining and needs more and more assistance and her daughter's now going and cleaning her house and going on the weekends and doing her grocery shopping I mean I've had calls from daughters who say you know I just can't do it anymore I've got my own life and I just you know she needs the help and it's so simple I mean even just two visits a week even one visit a week of someone who can go in do some light housekeeping get the groceries done or take her to a doctor's appointment and and just taking that level of support off of the daughter that's been going in and doing it then the daughter can go and hang out with her mom like she always does you know she can remain being a daughter and support in that way and not be um, not be doing the the day-to-day care that um, that 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 person's uh, that her mom is is needing more of so again it's about support it's about communication it's about everybody acknowledging you know their concerns and where it's going to be and and um, and coming up with with solutions coming up with ideas that that um, that everybody feels better about 
you find that there are sometimes psychological overlays that maybe have not been dealt with for oh sure a long time or ever yeah. perhaps yeah, yeah there's always lots of baggage i mean and that's why you know i think those buttons can i mean i've i've witnessed it in my family i mean it's so much easier for me to go and help and talk to people who aren't my family members i have an aunt who um had a had a stroke in her 50s and became aphasic non you know she she could no longer speak but could communicate and but I was I was doing some work with her and I I found myself so much more easily frustrated with her than for no no fault of hers but just uh, it's family pushes buttons there's no question there's there are um, you know we are much quicker to judge and feel resentment and feel um, something when we're dealing, when we're stressed or, or being asked more by our family members than if we were someone else. So, so that's what I've witnessed so often is, you know, that call from the daughter that said, Kate, I can't thank you enough. Just somebody doing my mom's grocery shopping has changed my life. <laughs> It's as simple as that. I mean, it, you know, because the little fights and, you know, you bought me the wrong butter or whatever it is, you know, that's just, um, it, it's oddly stressful <laughs> for, for families. So, yes, absolutely. I think there's, you know, there's baggage, there's um, undealt with issues that, that easily bubble up when, when these additional requests are being made of, of um children for parents or vice versa I guess in cases too there's also the very um, significant witnessing of decline that can be really hard on a person oh, like sure really difficult to see right. your mother not the strong right capable um, sometimes you know less loving now person right. because she's just kind of drawn back into herself right. just just has enough to keep on living yeah. and she just can't be the person that you remember her to be right so I think doesn't that cause us to face our own possible decline mortality isn't that doesn't that trigger something in us as well oh absolutely I mean because it it's asking us to to make a switch too I mean I see this with families as well that there's a, a reluctance um, you know perhaps mom is still home and uh, there's dementia involved and she's making some poor decisions or and it, there's that there needs to be a, a switch at times a sort of a transition of um, of roles to that the child needs to step in and and make some decisions and you know it, it is a bit of role reversal at times where where children need to take more responsibility um, and you know, feel more like the parent than the child, um, and that's hard. And for sure, you know, mom's honor. You know, making having a decline, and and I'm going to too. Um, but I don't. I don't know. It, that may be the underlying thing, but I think it. I feel like it's more. Um, I don't know that people are really looking that far ahead. I think they're they're. It's more the death of childhood. That that's um, that's just occurring to me that that it is that role reversal, and I see some families really resisting making that change. You know, well, if Dad wants to do it, Dad can do it. You know, Dad wants to keep driving; that's his decision, as opposed to being proactive and saying, "No, we need to talk to his doctor and we need to make some changes because Dad really shouldn't be driving." So it's that it's a real um, resistance to believing that I'm not the child anymore, you know, that, that I'm, you know, yeah, I guess it is that, that they're leaving, um, they're on their way out and I'll be the, I'll be the next grandparent. <laughs> Role changes, absolutely, yeah. I've also seen some very, some, some physical things that we just, maybe we don't talk about that much, they become very big issues in families. I've seen, for example, an older man in his 70s start dealing with incontinence issues yeah. and his daughter get very frustrated. Mm -hmm. 
and him try to hide the fact that he's having incontinence issues mm -hmm. and he's not able to move around as much to take care of himself so he won't tell her that this is going on. It just creates this big, big cycle yeah. around something that I don't think we're, we're not very good at dealing with things that no. are kind of... No, there are very few families that are. I mean, I think incontinence is a, is a you know, they're... There are very few children who want to deal with their parents' incontinence. <laughs> um, the parents have dealt with the, the children's incontinence. I mean, they. But but the the other way, um, I find you know that doesn't happen very often. That, that that's a lot of you know it's a sort of line in the sand for a lot of kids. You know, I am not I am not going to deal with dad in the bathroom. You know, with a shower, with toileting, any of that, um, which is fine. You know, that's and but. Again, that's where it's about that child then reaching out to say, okay, dad, this is what we're going to do. You know, we need some help here. I know this is happening. You know, I'd rather not deal with the mess of it than have some help so your needs are addressed. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of embarrassment and, and um, shame maybe, but just um, denial about uh, you know how things are progressing and changing and and you know the challenges of aging and incontinence is very common challenge for a lot of people as they age easily remedied easily remedied but um, it's you know not one not one that anybody wants to deal with but can be well, and that's what I keep hearing from you is, okay, so here's these issues that might be difficult, they might be embarrassing, um, they might seem completely insurmountable, but you're just saying, all right, show up, you mm -hmm. know, have a conversation. There are probably some practical solutions. Mm -hmm. At least start with that. Maybe mm -hmm. you can't get through all the psychological overlay right now, but just start with, this is where we are. Right, right. Yeah, it's about communication. It's about naming it and and kind of, you know, at least acknowledging the elephant in the room that that um, everybody's avoiding and 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 by avoiding it and being in denial about it, you're you're you know on the fast track to <clears throat> something uh, not good happening. You know that that um, I mean incontinence. Dad's going to get a UTI if he, if he remains in depends or um, and isn't changing them or um, isn't isn't cleaning himself properly. I mean, basic stuff like that, and then and that could get. I mean, so so it's just so much easier to to name it, find a solution, even if it's just a small one to start with. Even if it's just, you know, Dad, you're going to, you know, wear briefs. Disposable briefs and not wear regular underpants anymore. Simple as that. Hard, hard for a lot of families. Easy for me to say. <laughs> well, I was just thinking that. I was thinking about a patient that I had who unfortunately has passed away, but she and her son, towards the end of her life, their biggest fights were about the fact that he thought she should do something. Mm -hmm. I think it was to go see a cardiologist and do something related to her heart. And she had gotten old enough where she just was not going to do it. Right. She just, just, I am done. The mm -hmm. cardiologist, there's not really that much that can be done. Mm -hmm. So let just, you know, just let go. Right. And so I think that there's that interesting question, you know, it's one thing to say, dad, you can't drive or dad, you have to wear briefs or, but then there's this other question, like, where does this all lead to eventually? Right. So there are those bigger questions of, you know, let's make some bigger choices about what, you know, what do you want? What are your goals here? What are what are your goals? Um, I mean, whole current um, discussion. Uh, you know, Atal Gawande's book, um, being mortal about okay, even end of life. You know, what what's most important to you here? What's most important to you for? You know, is it staying home? Is it you know that you're able to see your family? Um, or is it that you just want to be able to open your eyes and watch TV every day, and that can happen anywhere? You know, what what um, you know, and in, and in your patient's case, yeah, does she want to um, keep her heart going at all costs? Maybe not, because if that means that she has to sit in a chair and she can't move around a lot, or you know, because her heart's too weak, 
that may not be her goal. She may want to continue, you know, going out and being in her garden. Or we have a client now that the, the doctor is saying she can't, you know, she really shouldn't be walking. She's like, I'm going to keep walking. Um, so, yeah, it, it's what, what are your goals? I've also enjoyed the book uh, Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. So people who are listening, you may want to go back and if you're struggling with some of these issues, it's kind of an interesting, an interesting read for you. This is one of these conversations I think that we could continue because there's so many different aspects to it. For those who might have questions, how can they learn more about the work that you're doing, Kate? Uh, they can uh, go to our website and all of the offices are listed there and call any of them. Our website is uh, seniorsonthego.com. Um, they can email or contact me directly. Uh, that's probably the best way to be in touch and, and learn more. I mean, our website is pretty comprehensive about what we do. Um, the organization that we've been talking about, Aging Life Care uh, Experts, is it's still at uh, alca.org, I believe, gets there, or um, caremanager.org gets there. Well, thank you. I, I really uh, appreciate the work that you're doing. It's a it's very important. It's important, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of conversations that are happening as a, as a result of um, the fact that we're a rapidly aging state here in Maine. Okay, for sure. We've been speaking with Kate Adams. She's a certified aging life care manager and owner of three locations of aging excellence. Thanks so much for coming in and being Thanks, a part Lisa. of our conversation. For sure. You have been listening to Love Maine Radio, show number 208, Aging in Place. Our guests have included Jill Johanning, Chris Delenick, and Kate Adams. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com. Love Main Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Love Main Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter and see my running travel, food, and wellness photos as Bountiful One on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love, Maine Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love, Maine Radio to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our Aging in Place show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Apothecary by Design, MacPage, and Berlin City Honda of Portland. Love, Maine Radio is recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Susan Grisanti, Kevin Thomas, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our content producer is Kelly Clinton. Love, Maine Radio is available for download free on iTunes. See www.lovemainradio.com or the Love, Maine Radio Facebook page for details. Music